0: How are you guys? Good. Okay, so next week, everybody excited? You're going, what's next week? Come on. Come on. So I expect, um, I am really looking forward to see if anybody brings like jarts. Do you guys remember jarts? Yeah? Maybe that would make an exciting picnic, wouldn't it? Kids running around and playing jarts. Um, Maybe you could bring some real life horseshoes. You know, those are fun too. Kids walking in front of those. We don't have any swings, so we can't have that. Disaster, you'll bring a swing? Okay, then we'll have all three disasters that we can possibly meet, that's awesome. No, looking forward to that. Hope you guys are looking forward to that. That'll be a good time uh, next week in the evening, just kind of uh, of late afternoon, so looking forward to coming together. I hope you guys are doing well today. Um, Still in the book of Luke, still looking at the story of the prodigal son, I hope it has been meaningful. I really appreciate Lyle coming in. And uh, last week, he was able to give us a good overview of that story. I've been hitting some of the details. And uh, then he was able to kind of say, and this is what the whole story looks like. And now um, we're going to dive kind of back into the, the details again. But we're going to continue in our uh, look at this uh, important story that Jesus told. Um, how many of you guys like a good turnaround story? Okay, for for some of you that might mean like uh, there are some people that enjoy reading like business journals and they like hearing the story about like the mom and pop store that was on the brink of disaster and then made some changes and became you know that monster retail uh, store. Um, Some people like watching those programs about that just horribly overweight. Uh, recluse who then decides, you know, I'm going to get a hold of my life. And so they, they get some discipline and they, they start some important practices in their life and they become that internationally you know, acclaimed fitness guru. You know, we, we like those kind of stories, right? Some of you guys like the stories about the town that gets wiped out, just gets wiped off the map by some disaster and then comes together and they, they come back stronger than they were before. Or sometimes it's just a story about like there's a kid who, who faces overwhelming odds, and we'd like to be reminded of these people that they faced overwhelming odds, and then they just overcame all their adversity to become these important uh, figures in history. But we love stories like that, right? Most of us like stories like that. If you don't, I'm sorry, um, this morning's not for you. Um, but we love stories like that. Why? Because, because they give us a sense that there's hope. There's hope maybe in the disaster that we're living in. Maybe there's hope just over the horizon. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. We love to just believe that there is a turnaround story in this life uh, for us as well. Well, it ends up that God's God's all about turnaround stories too. You know. In fact, there's one turnaround story he is hoping for each one of us to experience. He's hoping that there's this this turnaround story that we are in a a place with him that we really, it's not a good place, and he's hoping that there's a a turnaround story that we actually experience in our lives with him that will change everything. Well, today, uh, we're continuing to look at the prodigal son. The prodigal son was kind of Jesus's classic turnaround story uh, that he was telling us, this this parable. And we've looked at different parts of it. Um, We've reached the midpoint of the story. If you guys have been with me for a while, you know that uh, in the stories that Jesus told, in many of the stories of the Bible, many sections of the Bible, when you reach the midpoint, you reach the main point, because that's how they're structured. We usually kind of structure our stories that go from the beginning to the end, and you might give the, the main point at the beginning, you might give it at the end, but with, with Jesus, is the midpoint is the main point, point. and so we're at the, may, at the main point right now. We're at the midpoint, and so let's stand. We're gonna look at one verse today, out of Luke 15, but I want us to listen because these are important. It it sounds so simple, but it's immensely important. This middle verse of this story, Luke 15, verse 20 says, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him and kissed him. Jesus, in just a few short lines, unpacks the character of God through the character of this father that we find in this story. And in that, he shows us all that we need to know about the essential character that makes a turnaround story possible, whether that's the story of the son, but more importantly, our own story. That turnaround that we hope for and that God hopes for for us is not based on us. Isn't that good to know? right is based on him and he unpacks the father's character the the character that changed everything in this story today's today's message is titled this is a house with character amen father thank you for this morning Um, god we can't control some stuff (laughs) obviously but that's all good because you can overcome Anything you need to. You can do the impossible. You can call things that aren't out of, you can call things that are out of things that aren't. You can make a world out of nothing. You can make, you can call light into being. So God, we just ask that you would do your work here because, and as much as uh, it parallels what you're doing, we just pray that you would use us in it. So fill this place with your spirit. Fill this place with your word. Fill this place with the words of Jesus. Show us your heart. Show us you. You told us that Jesus was the the visible image of the invisible God. So show us Jesus this morning. Because when we see you, it changes everything. So open our eyes up, open our hearts up. Pray that we, we'd set aside that the, kind of that skeptical thing that we carry sometimes, that filter that we put up, that that arm's length that we hold you at. I pray that we'd we'd put that aside. We'd just we'd let you speak. We'd let you in. We'd open our eyes to see you for who you are. We pray that that would change everything. Pray it in Jesus' name for your glory by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So uh, over the years of my driving career, <laughs> I have had, some of you guys might have uh, been brought into this too, but I have had the unfortunate experience of being a participant in several accidents, right? And, uh, you know, they have ranged. They've ranged everything from there was one accident I was in that totaled, it totaled the car I was driving in. Now, that one was completely not my fault. On the other hand, I've had several other smaller ones and everything in between, but I've had not everything, but some things in between. But I've had the, the smaller ones, the backing accidents that were just kind of uh, minor, not much to do. Those ones were totally my fault, right? So, but what I found is it doesn't matter how bad they are or how much my fault they are or how little. What I found is I, rea- I respond very much the same to all of the situations. I get out, I, I kind of survey the situation, and immediately I start coming up with a plan, Right? And the plan is how can I turn this thing that seems to be such a mess, how can I turn this into maybe a positive thing in my life, or at least neutralize it so it doesn't become a devastating thing in my life, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I mean we do that. That's our it's called you know, I just call it my salvage plan. So and we do that. We come up with our salvage plan. It might be right after your company comes to you and they say, you know, we've been reviewing your department and we found that you have become redundant. Right, and you go oop. Salvage plan. Got to come up with a salvage plan. Somehow, it, it may be right after you, you know that test that you took. You found out you know it was as hard as you had feared it might be, and it did count for as much as you thought it might, and and you didn't prepare as much as you thought you might not have. Right, and and suddenly you get you you come out of that thing, and you go, I got to come up with a salvage plan now. Right, it, it may come after that that conversation that you have with that person that meaningful person in your life that you find out that this relationship doesn't seem to be as stable as you had hoped. It it may be when you find that those fire trucks are going to your house, right? (laughs) Or when that doctor tells you that that thing that you feared is true. But when we do that, we we like survey our, our surroundings and we start formulating this plan? How can I turn this thing? How can I, how can I do what I can do? How can I wrestle and struggle with it? How can I, how can I maybe beg or plead or cajole? How can I maybe invest or leverage? How can I do something to change this from a, a story of turmoil into a story of turnaround, a story of success, a story of meaning in my life? And in our story, the, the prodigal son um, he had defied his father, right? We, we saw that he pilfered, you know, just kind of plundered his home that he had grown up in. He had taken off and he was going off to find his best, best life. But a couple of weeks ago, we found him in this place where he had run out of money, a disaster had hit the region he was in and he had no one that cared about him, no one that was going to help him. And so we found him in that place and, and we'd say, so what does he do when that happens? Well, he does what all of us do. We see that he surveyed his surroundings and he started coming up with this plan. And so it says that he came to himself. When he came to himself, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am here dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And and he seemed to think this was a great plan. And we know that he thought it was a great plan because then it says, so then he arose and he went to his father, right? Now, now just a side note, that, no, that, that word arose, you know, he arose, that's the same word it uses when Jesus comes back from the dead. He arose from the dead. Anytime you read that, that um, anytime that word, anastasis, anytime it comes up in scripture, um, it, it brings to that story, just because, especially in the Gospels, where you know it's all framed by the resurrection of Jesus. And so anytime you read that, it brings this kind of sense of just expectation and excitement. And so it says he arose. He arose with this kind of expectancy and this, this energy. And he went to his father. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but what I just read, it has this, this frame around it. Um, is, is really clear in the Greek. It's not so clear because of our translations. We try and make it readable. But in the Greek, it literally says, it says, first the son comes to himself and then he comes up with his plan. But then he comes to his father. And we're gonna find out what happens to his plan. Okay? He comes to himself. He comes up with a plan. This is what we do, right? We come up with a plan, but then we come to the father and listen what happens to his plan. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son, period. You go, wait a second. Wait a second, what happened to the plan, right? right? What ha- the best part, the most important part, the part where you say, give me a job, right? That's, it's like, what happened to that part of the plan? We look at that, but, but there's something here. and you know, Don't you hate it when somebody says, they tell you that they're gonna do something, right? And then, so you get all ready for the impact of what they're about to do. And then they decide to switch it up and they do something else. And you're like, wait a second, what just happened here? The son said, I'm gonna go say, father, I sinned against heaven and against, against in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me as your hired man. Right? That's what he said he was going to do. But then he gets to his father and he actually just says, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Period. Now, there are some people that say that the father cut him off at this point, right? Cut him off and said, you know, wouldn't let him continue to show how much the father and how much he loved him. And I, I want to tell you, I taught that for years, but when I'm reading this and I'm realizing it doesn't, the story doesn't tell us that, we've kind of put that in there. The story just tells us this is what the son said. There could have been a pause a mile wide between when he ends up what he's saying and when the father finally says what he says. It just says that this is all that he says and he ends it as, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We say, Well, what happened? What happened that changed the end of that plan? Because there's only one thing that happened in between when he came to himself. And he came up with this plan. And when he actually presented that plan, the only thing that happened was that he saw the father. He came to the father. And the father saw him, felt compassion, ran to him, hugged him and gave him a kiss. But somehow in those few phrases, everything in the story and everything in his plan completely changed. So why? Well, let's take a look at that. First of all, it says that the father father saw him, which means that somehow while he was still a long way off, the father was looking out over on the horizon towards that road that led up to the house. He's looking down that road and he has his eyes fixed over there. Why? He's expecting a package maybe, right? He's, he's waiting for, maybe there's a message coming in from the governor. No, it, it, it makes really clear because he's always looking to the horizon. He's always looking at the end of that road. Why? Because he wants to see when his son comes home. He's been looking for his son. So what does this say? This says that the father has more care and concern about his son, even while he is miles away, even in spite of all the way that he left, The father has more care and concern for his son than the people did that were standing right next to him in that distant land that he had run off to to try and make a better life for himself, right? Now, when the father, when the son's in that distant land and he's coming to himself and he's making up his plan, he doesn't see that. He makes up a plan based on the fact that he thinks that the father probably, he's not going to, man, this is going to be a tough road getting home, but it's better than here. So I got to make a plan that's going to take all that. He doesn't realize that's how the father is approaching this until he sees the father. He doesn't see that when he comes to himself. He sees that when he comes to the father. Next, it says the father feels compassion for him. Now you guys know that I've made a big deal about this word over the over this the last couple of weeks, but I mean honestly over over the my my time in ministry, this word compassion, it's everything. In in Greek it, it's splanchna. In, in Hebrew, it's rachum, and both of those, there this sense that it's this love that comes from deep, it's this stirring in your guts. It's the love that a mother has for her child that she has carried within her. It's a, it's a love that a father has for his son, a wayward son that's just tearing him up inside. I mean, even that phrase we use, we know what this is. It's this deep, deep love, and it's this love it's this love that God says, This is the love I have for you. In Exodus 34, he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. He leads with it, He is stirred by us. So, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, You know what? He wants us to know without a doubt who this Father represents. When we get to the middle of this story, and this word sits right in the middle, the very center of this whole story. He says, I want you to know without a doubt that this story is about God and it's about you. He says, I want you to know this is God because this is the God of compassion. This is the God who has said, I, this is who I am. And he's moved with compassion. That's why the father's moved with compassion when he sees him because that's God is moved. And when the son, not when he comes to himself, when he comes and he sees the father, he sees the father. He sees his compassion. And it says the father runs to him. You know, I love what, what Lyle brought out last week because in that, in that culture, the successful head of a household, he didn't run for anything. You have people that run for you. It was disgraceful. It was a shame for you to run anywhere. You send your servants running, you send your kids running, but you don't run. And yet this father's runs, this father runs and you go, why is he running? Well, he's running, we, had, we had touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but he knows, he knows that if his son is gonna try and make it from that horizon on that road and make it all the way to where the father is, he's gonna hit all the people in the fields and all the people in the town and all the people in the household, all the people that he has done damage to right? All the people that he took their security and he put them at risk, all the people that he had robbed from and he put their lives at stake. He's going to hit them. And in this day, they had they had the right in a household like this. They had not only a right, but they had the responsibility to on the father's behalf, go and meet that son and say, you know what? You can't be here in no uncertain terms. You are not welcome here. You turn around and go live in the disaster you've made of your life and that you tried to make of ours. You go live in it because you have no place here any longer. So the father ran why he tried he ran to outrun the accusers to meet his son first. he ran so that he could he could. Keep this son from walking through that barrage, that deluge of just shame and condemnation that was about to just rain down on him. But think about what that means. The father took on the shame so the son wouldn't have to. Do you guys know what that means? Do you guys, that's the story of Jesus that Jesus would take on the shame so that we wouldn't have to. You guys, the son didn't expect that. When he was off in that distant land and he was coming to himself and he was coming up with his plan, he didn't expect that. He thought he was going to definitely have to walk through this gauntlet he thought, you know what? I may not even make it to my father. I may be turned around and sent away before I can even talk to him. But taking that chance is better than what I'm finding in this distant country, in this place of brokenness, in this place of just utter desolation. I would rather take on the possibility of shame and and just humiliation and condemnation than to stay where I'm at. He didn't expect that. He didn't expect to see his father run. That's what he expected when he had come to himself and was making his plan. But when he came to the father, he saw the father run. guys, that broke him. And then the father turned and he, he embraced him, which is just took him in and he kissed him, which is a sign. It's a sign of welcome for those who it's when you greet those that you love. So he pounds him and he pounds him and he pounds him with his compassion, his mercy, his love. And he wasn't ready for that. That's not what he had prepared for when he came to himself. But he says that's what the, father, what the son finds when he finally comes to the father. Jesus is saying that is what we find when we finally come to the father. You may think that you're far away from God at times and that you're gonna to have to go through this gauntlet of shame and condemnation to ever get to him, to ever get to that place that he even looks at you ever again or speaks to you again. But in those times, Jesus says, no, that's not how the father works. He runs towards you. He would rather take on the shame than have you bear that shame if that's gonna keep you from coming back into his house. And it changed everything. So what did it change? You guys, when we come to ourselves, we think that our best plan for salvaging our lives, and this is when we come to God, we, we think that our best plan is, is that we somehow convince God that we're still useful to him. Have you ever found yourself in that conversation with God? It's like, yeah, God, I know I've blown it, right? I know I, I don't deserve to be called your child anymore, but but you know, I, I think I can still be of some value to, to, to you. So we lead with this resume, right? We lead with our resume. God, I, you know, I, I have a lot that I can bring to the table. You know, I got a pretty good GPA in college. I've, I've had pretty good jobs. I, I have some good training. I, you know, I, I have a good personality. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm, I'm pretty good with people. I can, I can take care of myself. This one, God, I've learned my lesson I won't complain anymore. So we lead with our resume. Because we think our best bet is that if we can just convince God that we're still worthwhile, that we're still valuable to him. And what we don't see is that when we're saying that, what we're really saying is that, God, I still believe that I'm best, my best bet to get myself out of this. Right? I still believe that I bring something to the table that can get me out of this one. I can be my own turnaround story. And that's how we come to God often, you know, right? We come to him and say, God, listen, I, I know I've blown it, but I know I can work hard enough to make this up to you. Right? I can kick this habit. I can, I can overcome this addiction. I can, make, I can clean up my language. I can clean up my life. I can make this work. I can work hard enough, and I'll go to church. <laughs> I'll, I'll get more. I'll get more faithful in stuff I should be doing. I'll, I'll hang out with the right people. If you just give me access to your resources, I'll, I'll get myself out of this one. I'll make it up to you. And that's when we come to ourselves. That's our plan. But he says, you know what? When you finally come to the Father, you realize you come to the realization, you know what? My best bet is not in me. I'm the one who got me into this. My best bet is if I let go of me. I let go of all plans of saving myself and instead I just throw myself completely on the grace of the Father. So the son dropped his last line. He says, you know what? Father, I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for a job because I'd probably just blow that one too. Instead, I'm just going to say what's undeniably true. I've sinned against heaven and against you and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. What does he mean by that? He means I've seen you now, right? I've seen you. I saw the way you ran to me. I saw the way that you, you did things that I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't do for me. I don't deserve a name that I'm even related to you. He kind of ends with this unspoken of, so just do what you will. Right? Just do what you will. But that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, until, until he spoke those words, he had this kind of big ask, right? Until that moment, all of that lead-in was just kind of the lead-in to kind of get the, the, the introductions out of the way to get to the main point, which was make me, you know, give me a job. Everything else was just to say, yeah, yeah, so I've blown it, and I've sinned against heaven, and you know, I don't deserve to be called your son, so just get me out of this mess, but when he drops that last line, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because he's, now he's saying, you know what? I've sinned. I've messed up. But now I've, I, I don't deserve to be called your child. I haven't done anything to deserve to be called your child. And in that moment, the father knows that he is, the son has seen him for the first time. guys realize that? Until we, until we take ourselves out of the picture, we, we really haven't seen our father yet because we're still looking at us so much. We're thinking I can still do this. He says, you don't understand you until that moment. He, until we say, you know what, God, I don't deserve to be called your child. We don't really know who he is. Until we come to the Father and we see him, we don't really know who he is. And in that moment, at that moment, he knows that the son finally saw him. And the son saw his character, saw his heart, saw the character of that house, saw the character that made that house successful. He saw the heartbeat of that whole household that he had built. The son finally sees the father for the first time. Have you ever approached God like that? Have you ever approached God by just where where you finally get to the place that you say, God, not just have I blown it, not just have I sinned, yes, but I see I don't even, I mean, I am so far, I don't even deserve. So just do what you will. Just do what you will. Because at that moment, finally, the Father, that's what changes everything. Where the Father can say, finally, my son has come home. Finally, the one who is dead is alive. Finally, the one who is lost is now found. Because God says the only place for true salvation, the only place we can ever start is when we throw ourselves on His grace, not on our efforts not on our work. We throw ourselves on his grace. We take that chance that, not just that chance, but we come to that place where we admit, you know, my best bet is not me. My best bet is even to just say, God, if you need to, you do what you will. You do what you need to with me. Now, you know, it's funny because from God's point of view, he loves when we finally get rid of our plan. You know why? Because our plans usually aim so low compared to where he is planning for us. We're not going to get to where he's planning for us by our efforts, but our plans are so low. His son's coming in saying, I just want a slot as a hired man. And his father's kind of sitting there going, I'm just waiting because I want to put you back as my child. I want to give you a ring. I want to give you shoes. I want to give you a robe. I want people to know you're my son but he has to wait till that old that plan that he came up that salvage plan till it just dies it just goes away it ends up that we don't need to be rescued in these salvage situations we don't need to be rescued by what's around us we need to be rescued from us right and we need to be rescued by him and why is that why 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 is this the only place that we can be saved because it's only when we we come to find that we're, it's only when we are truly only standing on God's grace, it's only then that we actually have the freedom to make the changes that we need to make, right? If you're leading with your resume before God, you cannot admit that you have these weaknesses. If you're leading with your resume to somebody else, you can't admit that you have weaknesses. If we're sitting in this church and we're trying to prove how, how successful we already are, whether in this world or in, in God's sight, and we're, that's all we're trying to lay out, we're leading with our resume and we're saying, well, I already love enough. I I love so much. I'm so close to being loving like him. I can't even talk about it. You know, I'm humble. I'm humble, obviously. And, um, I'm patient just like him. Um, I am graceful. I'm strong, capable, self-sufficient. I mean, I'm, I'm clean. I'm righteous. I mean, I, I, I deserve that name. Right. And if we're so busy saying that, that we deny, this is so funny, you get into Revelation 3, 17, and we, we ignore what's really there, which is that, it says in Revelation 3, 17, that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, right? When we continue to lead with our resume, we can't grow. It's a lie, and we can't grow because we're denying that we even need to grow, right? It's not until we come and we just say, I don't even deserve to be called your child. Do what you will. In that place, in that place where we throw ourselves on God's grace, do we find the freedom to actually be able to admit who we are, to be able to admit when we stumble so that then we can get back up and we can keep working towards becoming like him. We can take the grace and the work that he gives us in that grace to become his. Do you realize when the son came home, he had spent his inheritance, right? So he has no more inheritance in that house. All that he has is the father's grace. That's all he has. And he says, so do what you will. And at that point, the father says, now I can give you the ring of authority. Now I can cover you with the robe of honor. Now I can give you the the sandals, the shoes that say that you are free. Because now you are. You're free to grow. You're free to be my son. So what does that mean for us? Well, maybe maybe this morning, maybe you're in that place, that place where... (laughs) where you're still leaning with your resume with God, right? You're still trying to prove to him that there's something worthwhile. Maybe you haven't gotten home yet, right? You haven't seen the father yet. You've just, you've come to your senses. You said, this is a mess and I got to make my way home. This is my plan for how I'm going to address it. But you're trying to bargain for a place at his table with your strengths and your rights and your intellect and your theology. And he says, let it go, let it go. Let it go, because you need to get beyond coming to your senses, coming to yourself, and you need to just come to the Father. You need to simply throw yourself completely on his grace and say, do what you will. I've sinned, not worthy to even be associated with you, so do what you will, because I know that's my best option, right? I know that's my best If you were to say, yeah, you you need to get out of here, this is still my best option to just lay myself out and say, I don't have a plan. I need to go with your plan. In Romans 10, 13, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise he makes. Whoever calls upon the Lord, not that they come with their plan and they say, God, you gotta back me up on this. Instead, we come to him and we say, God, I don't have a plan. Do what you will. Says they will be saved. That's our best bet. Second piece of this, though, some of us have said that prayer and said that words, those words, but we find ourselves in the midst of now living on the far side, on the back side of that, right, where now God is doing some work in us, and it's hard. It's hard because He's changing things. And it goes against all the habits that we built up as we kind of were relying on ourselves and we were coming to ourselves and coming with our plans. and, And he's changing things and he's digging deep. You guys, we are always, when we come to Jesus, we are in a season and we are in a season right now. As people, we're in a season as a church, where God is stripping away all those things that we may have built up and said, these are the important things. He's stripping away anything that is not of him. Don't try and run from that fire. Don't. Lean into it. Because what he's doing is that fire will refine you so that the gold becomes more precious, not less. Right? So let him do his work. Let him do his work. Let him pull the things that are getting in the way. Don't try and hide the places where you're broken. Don't try to explain away the things, how they're not as bad as they seem. Just say, you know what, God? I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I don't deserve to be called your child. Just do what you will. Do what you will. You know, in James, it says that we find healing. As those who follow Jesus, we find healing when we confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another. When we admit where we're broken. We don't, we don't try and hide that. We don't lead with our resume and our strengths. Instead, we admit these are the broken places. These are the places that God is changing. And yes, there are strengths. I mean, we glory in those things because they have nothing to do with us. There's stuff God poured in that we're so on his grace. It says, I'm not, I'm not doing well because of the inheritance I, I pilfered from this house. I'm doing well because my father took me back. And I'm so on his grace, and I can just say, and, and man, but I'm trying to learn how to live into that. I'm trying to learn how to live into that grace. I'm still so messed up. I mean, I came to myself, I had this plan, and it just fell apart, because it was worthless, but I didn't have another plan. I'm trying to figure out what God's plan is for me. I'm trying to figure out what he wants me to do, what his best is. Because you guys, that's where we find our turnaround story in this house where it's God's character that matters. Amen? Amen.